0: with infidelity, we make sense of it. We, we're always making attaching meaning to this event, right, this experience. Most of the time, I can't say all the time, but most of the time we make sense of it by blaming ourselves. We're not pretty enough, I'm overweight, I don't have sex with him enough. you know, my body looks a certain way, I've had two kids, whatever the thing is. And then that belief system either gets reiterated or gets really solidified, or maybe it's a belief I can't trust any man. All men cheat. God didn't protect me. That's the part too that's so long lasting. Um, just like other trauma events, it's it's deep. It's so much more than just him saying this confession and then she being upset. And then oh, the other big thing too is she goes back to like when they first met. Was everything a lie? Is this whole thing? Like, how long have you been cheating? And, and then she feels really vulnerable.
1: Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah May, and this is a show all about exploring messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart podcast. We are back again for the second part of my interview with Angie Durham, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and also a licensed professional counselor. And so today we are going to be talking about trauma and infidelity. And let me just say, if you have not experienced infidelity in your marriage, I mean, praise God, but don't tune out because you may be able to encourage or help a friend who is going through it, has gone through it. So stay with us. I'm really looking forward to talking about this and, and so, so that we can understand better what infidelity actually does to us and how it can cause trauma and not just like a, well, duh, it causes trauma, it's painful and it sucks, but even deeper into our bodies. So Angie, with that, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thanks, Sarah. It's an honor to be back again and, and to keep talking about
0: this, just with a little bit different, a little bit different nuanced uh, lens. Um, because I do think, unfortunately, um, infidelity is rampant, and even in the church. And um, I think a lot of people, like you said, like, yeah, it's awful, it's painful, but they don't really understand the depth of what's happening within them and their heart and even their physical body. And so to be able to understand it a little bit more fully. And so if there are people listening where um, you have been the betrayed spouse um, and you're just like, I don't know why I feel crazy. I don't know why I'm so erratic. Or if you are the um, unfaithful spouse, I think it's also really helpful for you to hear this to try to best serve your spouse or to, to best understand what's actually going on.
1: Yeah, and I'm assuming that we're going to be talking about the the people who choose to stay together and what that yes. looks like, but then not yeah. everybody, you know, obviously stays together. Right. And then there's this whole other dynamic, which you and I were talking about earlier, um, and I don't know how much we'll touch on it, but I was telling you the story of how i had written a blog post where I had uh, talked about how I got really close to cheating on my husband Um, nothing happened, but I got close because I had gone through like this real apathetic stage of my marriage and the Lord intervened and it's a whole thing. And I can share that link in the show notes and you guys can read it. But a woman had emailed me this impassioned email that said, yes, it's terrible. I had an affair with my pastor and it's awful. And the feelings of guilt are terrible, even though I'm back with my husband and just this whole thing. And this was years ago. And more recently, um, she wrote me again and she said, You know, I didn't realize this was not just some affair. Like, this was pastoral abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that there's a lot of complicated issues there, but the fact is um, Mm -hmm. he had authority and power, and it was not just a simple affair. And so right. I know that you had mentioned that um you're seeing men who are married and there these young girls in youth group are thinking, "Oh, I just had an affair with a youth pastor." And it's like, "No. Yeah. That is not what that is." That's right. So yeah. anyway, just throwing that out there because we were talking about it and putting yeah. that on the table in our conversation. Yeah, for sure. I think I think to
0: to put some flesh on that a little bit is to be able to say like that's not a that's not really adultery. I mean, It's more abuse. Um, It's kind of its own category of of an abuse of power. And a lot of times in those situations, unfortunately, it does happen in churches where um, uh, that pastor uh, really grooms that girl. Um, And even if she's of age, let's say I was, I think I was sharing with you, like I, I knew people that were 19 or 20 and still. Um, groomed. Um, and so when you start to see, especially church leadership, to be able to pay attention to particular grooming behaviors. So that includes like sending gifts or, or giving unique attention to that girl or giving her positions of authority, like, hey, you're going to be my helper um, without accountability. Like, hey, can you stay late? Like those types of things, um, breaking policy, like church policy And, you know, giving her special treatment in that way uh, and pushing boundaries are are really common grooming behaviors, compliments, gifts, especially special treatment at the beginning. And so what happens is that girl feels like she's been pursued and that she's loved and and chosen and wanted and those things. And and really, instead of it being a mutual uh, affection thing, it, it was actually an abuse of power. And so it's really hard when women come to terms with that because they feel all this guilt and shame that they had an affair with the pastor or the pastor the youth pastor or somebody and worship team or somebody and when they have that realization like oh I was groomed
1: um yeah it's a it's a very very um traumatic experience for sure I need to ask you a question that I just don't have the knowledge on and then I know we'll really get into the topic of, which is really trauma and infidelity in marriage, but when do you know it's grooming and when is it, and this may be terrible, I don't, I don't know, but or or when is it just like a guy falling into temptation or a woman fall? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like what, what is, is it? Because they're in the authority as that position that it's like falls into grooming. Do you know what I'm asking? It's the heart behind it. I mean, yes, I know what you're asking.
0: So some men will go into certain roles, shepherding roles, for the intent of abusing. Mm. I don't think all do. I don't think that's a fair assessment of every single person, um, that, that this is one of their stories. But I think that is partially true, where, whether they're a teacher at a high school or something. There is this uh, abuse. The a definition of abuse is um, using power and control over someone else for selfish gain. Mm. So if that's what's happening, then I would call that grooming because it's manipulative. I'm I'm pursuing, I'm doing these things in order to get some sort of satisfaction, whether it's sexual or not. Um and that's where I think it's the heart behind it. Now if it's a person who's just unhappy in their marriage and they genuinely feel like they're falling in love, which we know they're not, but let's just say they feel that way and um And they fell into temptation and, you know, then, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call that grooming behavior.
1: Okay. I was just curious on if there was like a definition for that or how that, yeah. There probably is. No, no, no. That's how, I think that's really helpful. I do. I do think that's helpful. And I do think any, any of us who are in any positions of authority need to be very, very alert and very careful. Oh, yes. So let's talk about infidelity
0: here and specifically, Again, like why is, why is infidelity, being unfaithful to your spouse, why is there a link between that and trauma? So again, we all know it's sadness. We all know there's anger there and, and hurt and grief and those things, but why trauma? So I know we talked about this last week, but I want to say it again, um, just defining what we mean by the word trauma. And so trauma is a form of suffering that breaks one's sense of safety, And it is caused by a deeply distressing or disturbing experience that will overwhelm one's ability to cope. It's important to note that not everyone who goes through uh, infidelity in their marriage is going to walk away from that actually traumatized. It is considered a traumatic event, but not all people will walk away from all traumatic things or hard things being traumatized. Being traumatized means you are continuing to organize your life in a way that that threat is still continuing. Um, And so it could be not just infidelity, but other things where our our minds, our brains are on hyper alert to keep us safe from future pain. And so in that we tend to lose our ability to cope, um, especially in those day-to-day moments when when you're triggered. Um, And so a lot of people, the betrayed person, Um, may feel like they're going crazy. They don't understand why their body's responding. And um, it's important that we have that kind of understanding and then
1: compassion on ourselves that we're actually suffering from trauma. So when you're saying we don't understand maybe why we're going crazy or why our bodies are feeling this way, would this be somebody who said like, okay, I forgive my husband and we're going to work it out. And then they don't understand why they, because in my mind, I'd think, well, of course I'm going crazy. Like, Yeah. My husband cheated on me. It would be for me if like I decided to forgive and like we're reconciling, but then I'm still feeling all these things. And then I'd be like, well, Lord, I chose to forgive. Why am I still feeling all of this?
0: Yes. That's, that is a really important point. But I think even at the very beginning, when, when we're not sure if he's fully repentant yet, see, that's, that's a big piece of this, which I'll get into is, The way this plays out, it really depends on which path we're taking. Are we reconciling? Are we divorcing? Or are we at a standstill because we're not sure yet? And so this is more towards the beginning when the confession has just happened. And the spouse is like, for sure that day they're going to be in shock. But then the days after, it's like, why am I acting these ways? Why am I thinking these thoughts? Why am I inconsistent, especially and to be able to go, oh, this inconsistency
1: really has to do with trauma. That makes a lot of sense. I can see there being like so much inconsistency in oh, your yes. thoughts and actions right after Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And the reason why infidelity is a form of trauma is because it actually breaks one's sense of safety. Yes. And so this has to do with attachment. And so, so. When God designed human beings, one of the key elements and key reasons that He created human beings was to be image bearers of them, right? Father, Son, and Spirit—that's you know seen in Genesis—and so He created us um, to to be able to image Him. And one of the ways he did that was through attachment. And why did he do that? Because by God's very nature, he's three. Mm. He's he's father, son, and spirit, who are fully attached to one another, just by his very design, his very nature. And so we, uh, imaging that on some level, um, we also attach. And so now we're getting into some psychology stuff, but it's really rooted in a biblical truth and biblical understanding. Um, and so when we are infants and we are born into a family, which is interesting to think about, like, why didn't God just drop 20-year-olds? You know what I mean? <laughs> like We have this idea of you know, infancy and, and being cared for, and we attach to our, our parents, to our mom and to our dad and our family. And that's part of God's design. And it's good, and hopefully it's healthy. Um, it's not always healthy, but hopefully it's healthy. And and then in the Bible, where he talks about, we will leave our fathers and mothers, and then cleave to our spouse. So that's attachment language. So he's saying, okay, when you're growing up, you have your parents, but then you're going to detach. Still love and respect them, but you're now detaching from that relationship and that that form of, of safety and now you're attaching to your spouse if you if you marry and that word cleave we don't use that word a lot in, in english but what that word means is to adhere strongly and emotionally attach that's what it means mm-hmm. and so it's powerful language like think of the most strong glue there could be between two people
1: do you know, all I keep thinking about is the fact that so many people then essentially go through so many, many marriages with all the relationships that we have outside of marriage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I know that's random, but when you yeah. think about trauma and yeah. infidelity, you know, I don't know, like it almost even far reaches to why the Lord is like, wait until marriage, because it's like these infidelities outside exactly of marriage right. because mm-hmm. it does affect your heart. It does affect your soul. That's and especially exactly if we're right. talking about cleaving, well, you're cleaving yes. when you're bonding with somebody in an intimate relationship. And yeah. um, man, so, right. so I would say a That's lot right. of us are going to have infidelity it's traumas. Powerful. Worse if you're in a marriage, yes. but I'm just saying in general, depending on the amount of relationships and intimacy level yeah. we all experienced. Right. That's exactly right. And that's why He's crystal clear. And so as Christians, we're not trying to
0: rob people of joy by saying, no, wait until marriage. No, have sex in marriage only. It's not that we're trying to inhibit things. We are trying to make things thrive and be healthy and protective. And and on repeat, God is very clear about this. And so, yes, it is a very beautiful design when you think about two now becoming one. Mm -hmm. Like singleness is over. Yes, you're still you. Yes, you have your personalities and all that, but you're one flesh. You're one entity. Again, there's a shadow there. There's an image of the trinity there, right? We're imaging something bigger than us, and he's warning us, don't commit adultery. Um because what happens is when a spouse commits adultery, there is a severing and a ripping of that flesh. Mm. There's a severing of that oneness. And on a, a psychology level, you're going, I'm unsafe because this person, not only am I imaging something profoundly beautiful, but also from a, from a mammal perspective, an animal perspective, like we are safer in packs. We are pack animals, mm. right? And we're more than that. Obviously, we have souls and those things, but still just from a, a biological primitive perspective... You know, we don't give birth to our young and then have them crawl off into the woods and, right. <laughs> you know, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like we attach for safety, and so that is true also for um, marriage. Um, and we may not think of it like that all the time, but there is this real deep biological thing that happens when adultery happens. That there is now an, a deep insecurity. Um, there, there is, there's a fear um, that the bes- the betrayed person feels. So what's really hard is that this person who was your safety person has now been abandoned and this, and this, and a sense of, you know, my partner, my safety person has chosen to not protect me and actually has inflicted pain on me. Now, I know many of the unfaithfuls listening are like, no, it wasn't my intent. I didn't, I wasn't maliciously trying to cause harm. And I believe that. I really do. However, the, the priority shifted from, I, instead of dying to self for the good of my, my spouse, I'm now elevating my, myself and my needs and my desires over protecting this person. And that causes a break in safety. So now this person who has been your everything, and you have vowed things to, and you've built a life with, and all these dreams, all these things is now your enemy in a sense because they're unsafe and that causes that detachment causes trauma. So, not only is the betrayed now working through the shock of what's happened, which is almost always, it's like what what? How do we get here? What in the world? And that takes a long time. It's not just a couple minutes. That's a long time to work through the shock. And then they work through the stages of grief. Um, gosh, I heard a great definition of grief. It's to lose intimacy with someone. Mm. I love that definition. There's many definitions, but that one's my favorite. When someone dies or or divorce, you've lost. There's a a detachment of intimacy. Yeah. And this betrayed spouse goes through that. Right? So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, all these things, they're, they're having to work through that now. Plus, on top of that, they're now dealing with the physical, emotional symptoms of trauma. So it's a mess. And so when God says, don't do this, trust me, uh, he, he knew what he was talking about, right? He knows what's, what's best. And yet, unfortunately, so many times we're going through this. So it is, it, is, it is important that you understand what you're feeling, what you're going through, and that this is all very normal, what you're going through. So then this kind of takes us back to what we talked about last week about the body's response to trauma. Right. And so again, we go into this kind of primitive panic mode, right? So, so that's when our amygdala that we talked about last time, like this, this part of our brain, it just gets uh, the hyper alert of any potential future threat. And so I love the analogy of, um, let's say you're making, um, pasta and what, you know, that at that point where you drain the water and all that steam, just, you know, shoots up to the ceiling. And when what if someone had a fire alarm that's right there? That fire alarm does not have the reasoning ability to say, oh, you know what? I think she's making spaghetti. Like, it doesn't do that. It's, it just sounds the alarm. And the thing about the amygdala, too, that's really interesting is the amygdala does not have a volume control. So just like a fire alarm, the fire alarm doesn't go beep when it's steam it's full force all the adrenaline's rushing all of the fight or flight is is working um and really we can reason and go oh it's just spaghetti it's fine but in times of trauma especially when this is pretty fresh and the confession or, or, or just finding it out just happened any little thing is considered smoke to that alarm so this is where it plays out in, right? So let's say he let's say the husband had an affair and he's now 10 minutes late from, from coming home from work. Well, that alarm that amygdala is going, you're, you're unsafe. He's cheating. There's no way you're okay. And if it's trauma, especially pretty impactful trauma, that prefrontal cortex, which we talked about last time, that that reasoning ability goes offline. Yeah. And so people around her can go, hey, just give him some time. He's probably working late. Maybe his phone died or something happened and she just can't reason. She can't She can't calm herself down. She may be acting erratic. She may call his phone 40 times. She may threaten divorce and not even be aware of what she's even doing because it's just a re- reaction. And so that alarm system is on high alert for any potential thing. And one thing that's important to know, I see this a lot with women in particular who've been betrayed. There is this really deep need for control. I think men have it too, but I think especially women, where we have this deep need of control in order to stay ahead of future pain. And so we become very obsessed with knowledge Right. And so, you know, okay, I want to see every phone record. I want to see everything you charged on the account. I want to know exactly what you did with her and what you said and what you ate and what, like, what
1: every detail. Do you see those control levels different between men and women when you're doing I do.
0: I so do. interesting. A, a lot of the men, I, I do see some men who have been betrayed that do this, but most of the time the men really focus on the sexual nature of the betrayal.
1: Mm.
0: And the women really focus a lot on the emotional and especially the level of deception. The women get really, really stuck on the fact that he lied to her. Interesting. Sometimes even more so than the sexual act. Wow. Um, it's, it is fascinating because again, there's this attachment that the, the lying, the deception, again, it's a break in safety.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's easier for us as women to go, uh, which by the way, the number one need for a woman is security. Mm. And so thinking about this from a security perspective, if he's being deceptive, we really can't trust him at all. But if he's, you know, I mean, not to minimize this at all, but let's say he got drunk and he went to a strip club and, you know, something happened. Like she has a, it's more likely for a woman to be able to handle that and then tell tell her the truth and confess and move forward than to have countless um, deceptive, you know, hiding, scheming, that is very, very difficult for a woman Hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, And for men too, but men really get stuck on like, well, what did you do with him? Like physically? Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting to see that play out in in my, in my practice. And a lot of the men don't want the details and a lot of the women are wanting very detailed things. Um, and, And what that is, again, going back to the amygdala, like she's trying to protect herself from future pain, but also part of that part of that pain, I don't think I've ever had a case where uh, there wasn't intense shock, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to want to stay ahead of even the shock. Mm. So so at the beginning of this, when when he's been found out or he confessed, we're not yet sure if he's really repentant, which repentance is just a good a, a, a Christian term, meaning to turn from, some, from the sin and turn back to the Lord and turn back to the, the people that he's hurt or she's hurt. Um, And we don't necessarily know that at the very beginning. And so if he is continuing or she is continuing to be unfaithful, there's this element where we need to stay ahead of that pain. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to have that shock again. So at least if we could know it, if we could catch him, Mm -hmm. you know, at least it wouldn't be the the level of shock. And then it gives us this sense of control to know it already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting dynamic especially with women. Um so yeah, so all that being said, there's these triggers that'll happen and I mentioned in the in the the last week's episode of um like what happens in the body and so a lot of times when when um infidelity has been revealed from whatever way, like she's going to deal with sometimes digestive issues, she's going to deal with insomnia, she's going to have anxiety. Um She's gonna again that control that that is usually the biggest thing we have to deal with is um, even the control of just saying I'm done. So it's not just the control of him. It's
1: she wants to have some sense of control in her life. Angie, is the trauma that takes place in the body mm-hmm. is that the initial like trauma or shock of either catching somebody or them confessing and what you feel in that moment that stays in the body or is it something else cuz like when we were talking about trauma it's like let's say an event happened or you were abused or there was a car accident like like the event caused your body to go into this hyper um i can't remember what vigilant, you call it. like hypervigilant vigilant. Um, yeah. thank you yeah like hypervigilant or dissociation or whatever and so then that is what your body will go into if it senses the, the same thing happening is mm-hmm. is it is so what is the tr- like the trauma that your body is going through is it from hearing about it or is it like what is that It's usually, it's,
0: it's very similar to all of the other things. So, so yes, there's usually a shock of finding out what's happened and that is immediately you're flooded. Your body gets flooded with adrenaline. It's almost like your head is underwater and it's this, and that moment is so intense that yes, your body wants to protect you from feeling that physical feeling again,
1: for sure. So if you thought you were in a situation where somebody might say something or you might catch somebody, your body might flood with that again. It could. Absolutely. Especially if you're still not sure if he
0: or she's repentant okay. and you see a phone record or he's late or something has happened. Absolutely. Your body will be like bracing for impact that, okay, he's cheating again, or he's still cheating. Or at some on some level, um, you're going to have to go back to that experience, right? Mm. That feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: there's more than that. I think it's more than just that physical thing. With infidelity, and well, with many things, especially complex trauma, we make sense of it. We, we're always making attaching meaning to this event, right? this experience.: Yes, yeah. And with women, I mean, most of the time I can't say all the time, but most of the time we make sense of it by blaming ourselves. We're not pretty enough, I'm overweight, mm-hmm. I don't have sex with him enough. you know, my body looks a certain way, I've had two kids, whatever the thing is. And then that belief system. Either gets reiterated or gets really solidified, or maybe it's a belief: I can't trust any man; all men cheat; God didn't protect me. That's the part too that's so long lasting. Um, just like other trauma events, it's it's deep. It's so much more than just him saying this confession and then she being upset. And then oh, the other big thing too is she goes back to like when they first met was everything a lie Mm -hmm. is this whole thing like how long have you been cheating and and then she feels really vulnerable right Mm -hmm. that feeling of vulnerability that feeling of unsafety and so yeah it's it's we're hyper vigilant now in the present to make sure that we don't feel that level of pain when all of this blew up so is that helpful does that make sense oh yeah absolutely okay yeah that's it's it's layered um but all of it's gritty and hard, and she needs a lot of compassion on herself, and she needs a lot of awareness, awareness of what's going on, even in her body, but also in her mind and her thinking. Yeah. So we talk, we talk about the brain, and what the brain's doing, and the amygdala, and the, the, the prefrontal cortex, and those things. But she also needs to know her thought life. She needs to know how she's behaving and just staying connected in those things. But it's really difficult, especially at the
1: beginning of this season, where we're not sure how this is going to play out yet. If you have any examples you can share, like stories or anything where you've seen, like, what did it look like when a woman came in or what, how did they process that? Or Yes, yes. Um, let's go into that. I think that's important. And so
0: let's talk about now, like, how this actually manifests in a person, um, especially relationally. So let's just say, I'm going to kind of pull from experience here a little bit from my practice. Mm-hmm. And so let's say the husband had an affair and you know they're coming in he seems repentant you know we always say time will tell on that sometimes we ha- well all the time we have to differentiate between worldly sorrow and, and real godly repentance um, because both can look similar at the very beginning um, and so but at the beginning let's say you know he said it, it had an affair with someone at work or something and and she's still just reeling right so they have a family they've been married I don't know 15 years or something. And so how is this going to actually play out? Yeah. Um, and it's case by case, but more times than not, this fight, flight, or freeze manifests in the, in the woman, in this case, um, just really at any time of day, but especially during conflict. And so she may be demanding details. She may just doing everything in her power to regain a sense of control and power which makes sense because her world's been rocked. And so the way this plays out in times of conflict is it will turn from conflict to fighting. Um, and so I use this analogy of um, the lion, the turtle, and the deer. And I do this with even non-trauma um, marriages. Um, the lion represents fight, right? So we got fight, flight, and freeze. So the lion is fight, So this is the one, which you can imagine with a lion, it's roaring, it's leaning into the relationship, it's, it's demanding, it's vocal, maybe yelling, um, for sure control elements, maybe even punishments, um, those types of things. And then you have the turtle, which is the flight. They, they pull away. They, this this is, I see most of of the time, this is the men who have been betrayed. They're the ones that tend to want to flee more. Not always, but they tend to just, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell people about this, kind of just avoiding that thing. And then you've got the deer, deer caught in headlights idea. So this represents freeze, um, or like we talked about last week, the dissociation. Now, not everybody who's been betrayed is going to go into freeze mode. I have found that there's a correlation with the people who do freeze. Um, They're more likely to have a trauma background And so so we talked about last time the complex trauma. And so if they have been betrayed by an ex-boyfriend or their parents were neglectful, abusive, or abandoning, or there was betrayal in their family or something um, that that has not been resolved, right? So unresolved pain. Um, These people tend to be more of the ones who freeze. Um, But again, it can happen with anybody. And what's hard about this is you could have one fight. So within... 30 minutes, and see the lion, the turtle, and the deer come out in the betrayed spouse in the same fight. And this is extremely confusing for both people. So for the unfaithful person, they don't understand. Do you want me to hug you or not? Do you want me to fight for you? Do you want me to leave you alone? Are you okay? Hello? Like waving their hand in front of their face. Are you here? Are you... And a lot of the times, when dissociation kicks in, where, where she or he just shuts down and just isn't even speaking, they're present in the room, but they're really not present. They're not connected. That is really scary sometimes for the for the unfaithful spouse because it really looks like the marriage is over.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: they're not even talking. Why won't she talk to me? She won't even acknowledge that I'm in the room. And I always question: she may not be in the room. You know, she may mm-hmm. not be. Con- she may not even be hearing you. And so they they freak out though, and they get really nervous, and, and think that, I guess it's over. Forget it, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily what's going on. It may be a trauma
1: response. Hmm. So how do you? Okay. So how do you work through that? Or what does that look like? Or. Yeah. So knowledge is very very
0: important, uh, right? So it's important for for both parties to really understand. That when the betrayed spouse is re- reacting, the fire alarm's going off, it may be a perceived threat. See, that's the thing. When the unfaithful person's going, I was stuck in traffic. It's okay. I, I wasn't talking to my mistress. I wasn't doing anything wrong. And he walks in and she's wanting to throw things. She's, hopefully not, but you know, she could be very aggressive and yelling, packing her stuff. Forget it. It's over. And he's like, I don't even know how to respond to this. Um, a side note, if, if she is in lion mode, please protect yourself from physical harm. Uh, that's pretty rare that the woman goes violent, but sometimes it happens or the man, um, it's never the time to sit and try to reason. <laughs> right. And so safety still, takes priority. Yeah. We can go back to the conversation at a different day, but, um, this is a little side note. It's important to, to remember that,
1: um, You know, it's interesting because we talked about how or how like it's your um, like sort of just your emotions are taking over Mm -hmm. almost instead of you're using your the prefrontal cortex, which is your logic Mm -hmm. zone or whatever. But you would think that it would be your logic that was telling you, hey, this has happened before and we haven't resolved it yet. So it could happen again. It could.
0: And that's it. So there's a difference between. That kind of reaction, especially the lion reaction, where it's just extreme, it's irrational versus intuition. I think intuition is a God-given, it could even be the Holy Spirit talking to us, right? Saying, hey, there's something going on here. So it's not always a a crazy thing that you're thinking it. What I'm talking about with the lion is the behavioral, um, aggressive, irrational you know, explosive type thing. Does that make sense? And so yes, even yes. if there's an intuitive like, hey, I see the same phone number of the girl on the phone record. Like I'm I'm not against phone records if if we need to look them up for accountability, you know, yes. But we're going to handle it. And I'm not saying she shouldn't cry or be angry. Right, but, I got you. Yeah, but we're going to handle it in a way that is more reasonable if that makes sense, yeah,
1: no, it totally does, i mean i yeah. that's a <laughs> good clarification,
0: like... yeah, I think that's that's a really actually really good question that you asked because there are very legit times if he's not repentant, where I'm yeah, yeah, she needs to trust her gut that that fire alarm is actually working for her benefit, for sure.
1: Yeah, right, right, to keep her safe, yes. which is, you know, I totally know what you're saying because when I was um, 16 and I had a boyfriend cheat on me and we had been together for a couple of years, yeah, I literally remember, like, when I finally got him to confess it, like I lost my mind. I like made him get in the car with me. I like drove to this girl's house. I was freaking out, like asking her questions. Like, and he was just sitting there like stunned silence, which I mean, I was just psychotic and I was just crazed out of my mind. I could not even think clearly. It was... Yes, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, it's a
0: form of suffering. Like you were suffering. Mm -hmm. So you weren't crazy. Right. And and your brain was sending all that adrenaline throughout your body. Like your heart was racing. You were ready to fight. You were yeah. ready and again. It's like going to her house and saying, tell me everything. That's control, right? It's It's I have to have the knowledge so I can make the best decision so I can protect myself for the future.
1: Yes. Oh, and you know what? Come to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. He hadn't confessed. I think somebody had told me it happened. And so I drove him to her house and I'm like acting crazy. That's always worse. Yeah. 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 Man. Unfaithful person. Same kind of deal. Mm
0: -hmm. If you, if you have had an affair, please confess it. Like, yeah, that is one of the foundational things of repentance, you know, uh, to be able to like bring that to someone. But anyway, that's another topic. But but yes, for sure. This we feel out of control. So that's the lion. The lion is out of control. It's all emotion based. It's all self protective. Versus being able to reason and have a conversation, and then you know make decisions. Yeah, we're not going to be together anymore, or you need to move out. Um, but yeah, it's 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 we. The fire alarm goes off at any potential risk, and then we assume it's real. That's the thing. Yeah, it's good. So going back to what we were saying of, um, what do we do? So I said the very first thing is just having awareness that this isn't just your choices, although you are responsible for your choices. It is a more of a primal uh, reaction from the body. Uh, And that is helpful, helpful for the the unfaithful and for the betrayed. And so if you're walking with someone or if you're hearing this and you're feeling these things is resonating with you, man, I just want to normalize that for people. And just say, of course you're acting this way. Of course you're feeling this way. Your sense of security and safety has just now been rocked. And now there's this this detachment that's happened. Um, And so normalizing is really important. Um, I would say also, go ahead and get support immediately. As soon as infidelity has been found out, whether through confession or finding it out, man, go to a counselor. Go tell your pastor. Trusted friends. Notice I said trusted friends, not just the ones that will tell you to key his car and <laughs> burn his clothes or something. Like people who can help you stay connected to yourself, what you're feeling, what you're thinking, who are believers, if you're a believer, you know, help you with coping skills. She's gonna need coping skills. So again, going back to what we talked about last week, staying grounded and knowing what you're feeling and experiencing and having the right thoughts going through your mind of, okay, this is a trauma response. I'm safe right now. I'm okay. You know, whatever, whatever the thought is, God is with me. You know, to be able to kind of calm your body down, taking deep breaths is huge. Not, and, and we have to work on not being reactionary. We want to have responses, but not reactions. And that's true for any marriage, by, by the way. <laughs> that's like any kind of conflict. Um, so yeah, those types of things are really important. I would say to the unfaithful, um, how can the un- the unfaithful help the spouse, the betrayed spouse? I think there's some key things that could be helpful here. Um, the very obvious one <laughs> is to be repentant. Um, so again, it's working your own side of, of of healing and and figuring out like what led me here and if you're a believer or even not a believer, like what is going on in my heart um, and 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 to continue to. To show repentance through continued faithfulness to your spouse. And faithfulness is not just sexual, although that absolutely counts, but faithfulness and being honest, being faithfulness with um, your word. If you're going to be some, say you're going to be somewhere, be somewhere. Being caring for her or him. Um, Get help for yourself. Get counseling for yourself. Dig deep into your own past wounds and trauma potentially and show the betrayed spouse that you are willing to do whatever it takes. And so those are just some of the elements of repentance.
1: Have you seen, and, and maybe we are going to get to this, but have you seen in your practice that a woman, and I would say a woman or a man, but we're specifically talking about women right now, um, can ever feel safe again if she chooses to reconcile with her husband? Absolutely. Even if he totally changes and is like totally faithful to his wife from here on out, will she ever actually feel totally safe?
0: She can. Yes. Not always. It depends on several factors. But yes, that's why I love my job. I love being a biblical marriage counselor or biblical counselor in general. Um. Yes. And so, wounding happens so much in relationships, right? Doesn't it, especially complex trauma? Like that wounding happens in relationships. But a lot of times, the Lord uses relationships for healing as well. And so, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, the key, the absolute most important piece is is he repentant or is she repentant? Yeah. Because here's the thing with that person, okay, okay, so much to say here. Sometimes, It takes something this serious to bring people to the realization that they're not saved. They think they're Mm. saved. They go to church. They prayed some sinner's prayer and camp and the 12 or something, but they're not really following the Lord. They're not, they don't love the Lord. They're not repentant. They're not, you know, and it's sometimes these big things bring people to their knees in a very unique and beautiful way that wouldn't have happened if this thing hadn't happened. And that's for the betrayed and the unfaithful. And it, dip, it I can't guarantee that because mm-hmm. it just depends on the hearts and and who's coming in. I don't know, but I say yeah. the same thing over and over to people and one hour people walk away and they just flourish and the next hour I say the exact same words and they don't. And so it really depends on the heart behind mm-hmm. it. But yeah, if there's repentance, that person who was the unfaithful potentially will get a brand new heart. And so they're like, it, people, people mm. use this phrase a lot. They'll say like, especially if we've been doing therapy for like, let's say several months to a year or something post adultery. And they'll say things like, yeah, you know, our previous marriage is almost as if they divorced, but they didn't. And so mm. they're referencing like pre-adultery versus post-adultery
1: Yeah, that makes sense actually. That
0: oneness has been broken. So it's almost like they need to get remarried. Yeah. Um, And so I kind of do, I don't Mm -hmm. do get remarried, but like in the session, in our sessions, we'll be like, okay, we're going to reinstate vows. We're going to, you know, make amends, like not just say, oh, sorry about that. I shouldn't have done that. But like really make an amend Um, and reconciliation is not always possible. But reconciliation has two key elements, repentance and forgiveness. And if those two things don't mm-hmm. happen, there's no reconciliation, even if people live together until, for 60 years, which is so sad, yeah. right? They, they're not yeah. reconciled, but they're still they're yes. still married. And so, yeah, it's interesting to watch this play out in people. But, but yes, to answer your question, yes, people absolutely. In fact, you want to talk about how cool God is. This is where he really shows off, I think, because there are people who will say to me in tears, dripping down their face, they'll say, I'm so glad this happened. Wow. And that just brings chills to my body. I just go, man, like they're they're not grateful for the sin, but they're right. so grateful that the the Lord allowed this to happen to bring them not just closer to the Lord, but to each other.
1: Yeah, it lays and everything on the table. It's absolutely. They can get everything it, on the table. Mm-hmm. And the whole foundation. So that's the thing people realize
0: is, Oh, we've been married 15 years, but our foundation was wrong. Mm. Yeah, we go to church. Okay, great. But God wasn't the center of our marriage. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it takes some of these big things for God to come in there to do demolition. Yeah. And to tear up that house that they created. It's fun. It's 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 fun to watch God work. It's painful, it's gritty, but to see the the beauty that it brings is
1: just, oh, yeah, man, yeah it's one of the best things in the world for sure. So what about the woman whose husband doesn't repent? Yes.
0: To the, woman's who, the woman whose husband has, is not repentant, um, I'd first of all s- say that the work that you are doing on your own is going to be fruitful no matter what. And so she mm-hmm. still needs care. So she's gonna to have to deal with the pain for sure, the trauma, the bitterness, the, the anger, the resentment, those types of things are gonna to have to be dealt with in her relationship with the Lord. And so, yeah, there's lots of people's stories where he's not repentant. And so they end up divorced, and now she's a single mom or whatever's going on. And, and she's gonna to continue to have consequences of that in her life through, you know, custody stuff or child support or whatever. Um, but again, like. God uses such trauma and brokenness to connect individual hearts to him first. Mm-hmm. When that happens first and it's healing and profound and you know idols get repented of and you know the foundation changes, then there's a chance to reconcile horizontally, right? So we say vertical comes first, then the horizontal. So even if the horizontal reconciliation does not happen, that Mm -hmm. vertical growth is it's just so profound and again I've heard women say that was worth it it was worth it it was so beautiful to go through what I went through because now I know God in a very different way Mm -hmm. yeah and so but I would say if he's not repentant and he's continuing so you're still living together let's say or um you know um you're not divorced or something if he's continuing to be unfaithful then you're going to have to, with help of other people, I hope, make some decisions for what's best for your sanity and for your um, health. Um, And it's not honoring to the marriage. The sacredness of the marriage is
1: um, being threatened here, right? If he's continuing to have an affair. Yeah. And it sounds like for sure, get yourself into some therapy if you can, because you do have actual trauma to sort through and untangle. It's not just, I need therapy because this is so awful and it hurts. It's, I need therapy because this is so awful and it hurts. And my body and brain and what I may believe has now been all affected so significantly. That's right. And there's triggers. So even if you're divorced, people think, oh, I'm divorced. I should just start dating. It's, I'm
0: over it. Because what they do is they attach a face to their pain. Mm -hmm. So it's, okay, him, Bob, let's say, he was the reason I'm in pain. Well, he's gone now. So now I'm all better. And that's, we know, don't we know that? And and we sure know that time doesn't heal all wounds. Right? I don't know who made that up, but that's not true. (laughs) Time with the Lord heals wounds, but time by itself does not heal wounds. And so absolutely, Mm -hmm. I can't say that enough of getting... Whether it's therapy, pastoral care, mentorship, um, depending on the severity of the symptoms that we're dealing with. Yeah. And to look at how has this shaped the way you view God, self, and others. And then what happens is people run into the next relationship, which is why so many of the second marriages fail. And then they run into that relationship thinking it's going to be healing or whatever, or they think they're ready for it and they're not ready for it. And then all these triggers happen.
1: Yes, and yes. That, and the brain's
0: going, oh, wait, why is my new boyfriend not calling me back? Mm-hmm. Right? And so you're carrying over the same wounding into this new relationship as well. So yeah. Some key things that the unfaithful can do. And so the first one was be repentant, right? That's huge. So so be honest, be faithful, be caring, and, and show her that, that he will do whatever it takes. The next one I would say for the unfaithful, um, some things to think about. Uh, to prioritize in doing is confess it all. So what happens is when the, the unfaithful is like starting to confess, maybe that maybe he or she was caught. And so they give just enough information and they're kind of testing the water of going, okay, I'm going to tell you that I kissed her, but he did more than kiss her. Right. It is very, very damaging especially if you want to stay in that marriage. If you don't want to stay in that marriage, then we need to just end that thing and move on. Um, if you're not have any intention of of wanting to work it out. But if I'm, a, I'm talking to the unfaithful person who wants to work it out, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Who wants to be repentant. So to confess it all, now you don't have to give every gory detail. But if there were more than one uh, meetups, if there was more than one woman or man, or if, Yeah, you went to strip clubs as well or whatever that encompasses. Please do it pretty soon. If you're worried about her mental state and she don't think she can handle it, great. Um, But let's do that in front of a pastor or a counselor. Let's get some support. Um, But with the intent of I'm going to share these things, that's a huge one. Because what happens is people come in and start doing therapy and we're six months in and then he's like, oh yeah, and I had an affair with this other girl when we were dating. I'm like, oh, no, we have to go all the way back, um, start rebuilding that trust from zero again. It's just very, very hard. Um, Another thing very important, especially in times of high conflict, and she's being the lion, for example, or the turtle or even the deer, don't be defensive. Now, this is very difficult, as we all know. um, But it's so important that if she's coming at you or he's coming at you with words of like, you're a cheater and you know, whatever's coming out of her mouth, I know you're cheating on me still. Don't mirror that with blaming or calling her crazy or any kind of no, 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 you're wrong. If she's activated to the point where she's out of control, you know, she's being the lion, that is not the time to be defending yourself. And especially a lot of people do this in conflict to deflect we get off topic and we start talking about, well, you know what, you or your mom or your family or like your job or what about this guy you're flirting with or whatever. We deflect and we get defensive. And that is a huge thing that will um, hinder your ability to regain trust in her um, from her. Um, so, the point of this is we want to restore trust or we want to restore intimacy. And so defensiveness is, is your enemy in that for sure. And understand that what she's doing is biological. It's primitive. It's not necessarily her being, um, choosing to do these things. So that's helpful for him, help her get regulated. And so, um, sometimes what that looks like is, is to just say, stay in the room. Again, if you're being abused, no, you need to gently leave, um, and not fight back. But if she's just, walking around the house crying and yelling okay just sit down just don't say anything just be patient don't grab your keys and storm out she's going to feel abandoned if you do that Um, and then be patient yeah as, as she's doing this roller coaster i think a lot of the betrayed i mean a lot of the unfaithfuls feel like oh is this my life now you know i don't have to deal with this for the rest of my life it's not worth it no, it's trauma response and get some help and she will restore that balance or he will restore that balance, hopefully in time. And then in those moments of conflict, ask her or him, what can I do? What kind of care can I give you right now? Do you, do you need a hug? No, I don't want a hug from you. Okay. Okay. Do you want me to leave? Do you want me to take the dog for a walk right now? Would that be helpful? Do you want me to take the kids to get ice cream? Should I go stay at my, at my parents' house for a while? or whatever do you want me to go to counseling with you? Do, you do you want me just to sit and listen and it's so interesting the woman let's say the woman in this case literally in, in an hour's time she's cussing at him yelling at him and then the next moment she's like i just want you to hold me and sometimes i have, I have lots of times women will say i wanted to have sex with him and she doesn't she feels shame about that like i should hate him And, and yet she wants that connection. And so it's just, it just depends on where she is at that
1: moment because it changes. She's probably a bit like a boomerang. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I would say too, she probably needs to be really, really gentle with herself and her sort of boomerang tendencies because yeah, I can just see that that would make you feel crazy if you're like one minute, like you just said, like, she wants to have sex with him but then the next she's like don't touch me and for the unfaithful it's probably very confusing but the person who is traumatized needs to really it's going to take time to just work that out and you know what does that look like for a woman to work it out with sex when her husband was unfaithful like how can she, how long do you see that normally taking for her spouse to be like really super pa- patient like what does she okay what does the woman need from her husband when she's been traumatized and it comes to the, uh, and it comes to sex, like just let her kind of go back and forth for as long as it takes or what? Well, the very first thing he has to be patient and not demanding.
0: And so again, this really hinges back on repentance. A repentant person is not going to be demanding at all he's going to be or she's going to be so grateful just to sleep on the front doorstep. Mm. That kind of like, who am I?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So that's important. So if she senses that he is repentant, you can tell, like you really can feel it. And especially over a little bit of time, and she's going to feel safer with that person. And so she may want that intimacy and that connection. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that. Um, if she wants to have sex with her husband, you're married. That is not sinful if you want to do that. Now I will say if it's it just really again, it really goes back. It depends on the heart of the unfaithful. If the unfaithful is being very defensive and demanding of like, hey, I'm a Christian and God's forgiven me, so you need to forgive me. Oh man, that that's oh, not gonna go well. That's that is so hard for me as a counselor. I'm going, okay, that is not a repentant heart. Or you're demanding anything sexually or any behavioral thing. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, it just depends on the woman. So again, going back to, is there some pain from her past? And that's making this even harder for her to be intimate with her husband. Or even pain from their marriage previous. Maybe there was a porn addiction. And this is stirring that up again. So again, there's not a set amount of time. But I would say she needs to be in the driver's seat. And she needs to be the one empowered and like, whenever you're ready, I'm here. But if you're not ready, I'm still here. Yeah, that's good. And and for she not to feel this, my husband's going to keep cheating if I don't have sex with him within a week. That's really important. Very important. And they do this, right? They, okay, I better be better than the mistress. So I'm going to do these things and she's not in it. And it's actually can be re-traumatizing for her. Yes. And so we want the husband or in this case, the husband to to be like, Hey babe, what if we just wait? And so when we when people come into counseling, really fresh from an uh, infidelity, finding out about infidelity, I talk about that pretty quickly. Of like, are we sleeping in different rooms? Do we need to actually separate completely for a short time because it's so volatile at home? Or, or like, what do we need for for emotional stability and sanity? That's mm. the priority in that moment: safety. And if that woman's like, oh, you're not touching me, don't even try to give me a hug which is really common and fine and if he's repentant he's gonna be like great you're letting me sleep in the guest room great um and there should not be any pressure at all yeah that's
1: good yeah okay what would you say to the woman listening right now Mm -hmm. who has just recently found out her spouse has been cheating on her what what do you want to say to her oh so many things uh with a big bear hug um I'm sorry,
0: um, so sorry um it's it's like a tornado just came through your house, and it's real and and all of the feelings that you're feeling are valid. Um, you're not crazy um, and none of this should have happened its It goes outside of the design of marriage um, and so i want I want to give her the dignity to feel what she's feeling and to think what she's thinking, um, and not be focused on what am I supposed to be feeling? What am I supposed to be doing? And I don't want you to put pressure on yourself to be further along than you really are. Um, grief is messy. Trauma care is messy and it's long. Um, but the journey that you're on is, is, um, potentially very, very beautiful. Um, if you are a believer, um, Man, you have so much resource in the Lord, and He sees you, and He cares, and He's with you. I love in the scriptures where He calls Himself your husband. Um, what an intimate! It's the most intimate relationship you can have, um, you know, this side of heaven. Um, so He calls Himself that, and so to just to, to I would encourage you to lean into that. If you're not a believer listening to this, and you're just like not sure what this what all this means i would encourage you to use this pain and this angst in you to be curious about the lord um because this could be him beckoning you to him it's just such a beautiful thing how god takes um 11 isaiah 61 where he says that he takes ashes and turns them into something beautiful um, and that could be what's going on. And so, so yes, you are seen, you are cared for, you are not alone. So I would encourage you to get other people in your life. A lot of people feel shame and they want to protect their spouse. They don't want to share things. I, I don't want you to share with anyone, but I do want you to share with trusted people. Counselors have to hold confidentiality, so they're always a safe place to go to. Um, I, I would be careful who we share or what details we share with family um, depending on if they're safe or just like, assess that for your own life, but yeah, get support, get care. There's there's support groups, churches. A lot of, a lot of the bigger churches have like recovery groups, and um, there's all kinds of resources um, out there to help you. But but this journey is going to be long, and like like Sarah said, I think it was perfectly said. Like have that compassion and that. Um, self care becomes the priority versus, okay, what do I have to do? And when do I have to do it? What's my timeline? How do I get my marriage back on track? Um, it, is, it is really time for pausing and self care for sure.
1: Mm. Angie, thank you so much for being on the podcast again and for sharing your wisdom and your experience and, um, and just the importance of understanding our bodies in trauma and, um, and even in infidelity. So can people, um, do you take clients online or do you only do it in person? Where are you out of Angie? So I'm
0: in a suburb, um, North of Dallas, Texas, in Flower Mound, Texas. So if you are, um, yeah, in the Dallas area or, or whatever, yeah, absolutely. I'm, i I practice out of North Texas Christian counseling. You can just go to my website, um, and there's a link there. If you are outside of Dallas, but you're still in Texas, I can do um, video sessions. I do that uh, about once a week. Um, We can do that anywhere in Texas. If you're outside of Texas, it really depends on the ethics. Um, So I'm under a licensing board. And some states do not allow me to do video sessions because I'm not licensed in that state. Mm. that makes sense? Yep. I'm licensed yep. for Texas. Okay. And so some states don't care about that as much, but most of them do. And okay. So yeah, if you're in Texas, then we can connect for sure.
1: Okay. I will make sure to put links to where you are counseling. And you also do counseling for spousal abuse. Is that correct? Yes. Domestic absolutely. violence and stuff.
0: Okay. For, for the women. I partner with some men at my practice. Um, I don't meet with men alone. Um, um, I will meet with men if it has to do with marriage and remember reconciling, but I don't meet with men for divorce or for abuse.
1: Okay, but if you're in the Texas area and you're looking for somebody and you are dealing with infidelity or um, domestic abuse or marriage stuff or probably just in general stuff, um, you can check in the show notes for Angie's information. Angie, thank you again so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the complicated heart podcast if you like this podcast if you found it helpful please take a minute to subscribe rate and leave a review reviews are how people know if they should listen or not so your review matters thank you so much if you want to know more check out the complicatedheartpodcast.com